0: Okay, today I'd like to speak about the Holy Spirit. The Bible has lots to say about the Holy Spirit. Uh, his role from is uh, revealed from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, when I was a kid, I knew about Jesus. I knew about God the Father. And I'd heard about the Holy Spirit, but I didn't really know much about him. And uh, it's pretty true that we, we see the Holy Spirit uh, portrayed as a fire, portrayed as a dove, so we tend to think the Holy Spirit is just a power, but the Holy Spirit is a person. Um, I've particularly been inspired in recent years by reading about Catherine Kuhlman who had a, an amazing healing ministry and uh, she often talks about Holy Spirit being her friend and the one that she talks to, the one that she is uh, walking with every day and and, uh, it has um, particularly helped me to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, Genesis says that God created the heaven and the earth and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters so he was there right from the beginning. But Jesus was also there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got Jesus, and we've got the Father, of course, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So all three members of the Godhead were there at the beginning. And we'll be there right through to the end of time and into eternity. And we can relate to Jesus because he came as a man and we recognise that he understands us and there's our situations and our thoughts and our feelings our joys and our sorrows because he's been there. Or we might say he's here as well. We can relate to the Father because we know what an earthly father is and so we tend Uh, understand a father but we tend to leave the Holy Spirit as that impersonal power. But the Holy Spirit is a person too, like Jesus, like the Father. So um, it's interesting that uh, Elisha talked about the children of Israel today because I'm going to talk about them as well. Uh, Last time I talked about Uh, how Pharaoh, who's a type of the picture of Satan, or picture of Satan, didn't want the people, didn't want to let them go to worship God. He suggested that they could worship God without taking their families. And then he suggested, well, they could take their families, but not their flocks and herds. But with a little push from God in the form of plagues, (laughs) Pharaoh finally let the people go to worship. Well, it so happened that after Pharaoh released the people, God didn't lead them by the road through the land of the Philistines, which was the shortest route, for God thought if the people encounter war, they'll change their minds and go back to Egypt. So God led the people on the wilderness road, looping around to the Red Sea. God went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud during the day to guide them on the way, and at night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Thus they could travel both night and day. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left the people. Now the pillar of cloud and the fire are a type of picture of the Holy Spirit. They they were visible, tangible presence of God leading the Israelites through the wilderness. And the Holy Spirit is the invisible intangible presence of God leading us in our lives and it's wonderful to walk with the Holy Spirit as a friend God spoke to Moses tell the Israelites to turn around and make camp on the shore of the sea opposite Baal Zephon Pharaoh will think the Israelites are lost they're confused then I'll make Pharaoh's heart stubborn again and he'll chase after them and I'll use Pharaoh and his army to put my glory on display. Then the Egyptians will realise that I am God. And that's what happened. When the king of Egypt was told that the people were gone, he and his servants changed their minds. They said, what have we done letting Israel, Israel, our slave labour, go free? So he had his chariots harnessed up and got his army together And he took 600 of his best chariots with the rest of the Egyptian chariots and their drivers coming along. So God knew Pharaoh was going to come after them. And if he'd let them take the obvious route to the north, they would have been sandwiched between the warlike Philistines, that included giants, and the Pharaoh's army. And what hope would they have stuck between two armies that both wanted to kill them? So in his wisdom, God guided them with the pillar of cloud to go a different way. Moses would have known that it was the wrong way, but he wisely followed the cloud. You see, Moses wasn't ignorant of the travel routes, even though the rest of the people may have been. He grew up in Pharaoh's palace until he was 40. He would most likely have travelled and certainly would have been aware of the trade routes to and from Egypt. Remember Joseph? 400 years earlier, was originally brought from Canaan, the land promised to Abraham, to Egypt by Ishmaelite traders, and his brothers knew the way to go when the famine came and they needed food from Egypt. There was a quite clear route, trade route that people knew, to uh, travel between Egypt and Canaan. But Moses, and and Moses had also been away from Egypt for the last 40 years. He'd been living in the deserts of Midian, being a shepherd. He was married to a Midianite lady and had two sons. So Holy Spirit is our guide today and he can see the way ahead and sometimes leads us in what looks like the wrong direction. But we can trust that he knows what he's doing. I like what Brenton said about myopia. <laughs> that just fits with, with the <laughs> Holy Spirit leads us, and we we can't always see, but we can trust Him. Okay. So as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites up looked up and saw them Egyptians coming at them. They were totally afraid. They cried out in terror to God. They told Moses weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so you had to take us out here in the backside of the wilderness to die what have you done to us taking us out of Egypt back in Egypt didn't we tell you this is what would happen didn't we tell you leave us alone in Egypt we're better off as slaves than corpses in the wilderness Moses spoke to the people don't be afraid stand firm and watch God do his work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians today for you're never going to see them again. And God will fight the battle for you. And you, keep your mouths shut. <laughs> That's sometimes good advice when we're complaining and crumbling and saying, ah! keep our mouths shut. God said to Moses, Why cry out to me? Speak to the Israelites. Order them to get moving. Hold your staff high and stretch your hand out over the sea. Split the sea. The Israelites will walk through the sea on dry ground. Meanwhile, I'll make sure the Egyptians keep up their stubborn chase. I'll use Pharaoh and his entire army, his chariots and horsemen, to put my glory on display so that the Egyptians will realise that I am God. The angel of God that had been leading the camp of Israel now shifted and got behind them. The pillar of cloud that had been in front also shifted to the rear. The cloud was now between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. The cloud enshrouded one camp in darkness and flooded the other with light. And the two camps didn't come near each other all night. Now, our picture kind of shows the, the uh, pillar of cloud with the Egyptians, you can maybe just make them out on the other side with their chariots. Holy Spirit was, may not be visible to us, but he's very visible to our spiritual enemies. Romans 8 says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Through wordless groans, God's presence protected the Israelites from the Egyptians, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, particularly when we pray in tongues. I read this story the other day, as told by Smith Wigglesworth. He was an amazing evangelist and healing ministry in the early 20th century. He says, "I want to tell you about Willie Burton, who is laboring for God in the Belgian Congo. Brother Burton is a mighty man of God and he's giving his life for the heathen in Africa. Once he took a fever and was on the bed of death, they said, he's preached his last, what should we do? All their hopes seemed to be gone and there they stood with broken hearts, wondering what was going to take place. They left him for dead. But in a moment, without any signal, he stood right up in the midst of them and they couldn't understand it. The explanation he gave was this, that when he came to himself, he realised the warmth going right through his body and there wasn't one thing wrong with him. How did it come about? It was a mystery until he went to London and was telling the people how he had been left for dead and then was raised up. A lady came up and asked for a private conversation with him and arranged a time. She asked, do you keep a diary? He answered, yes. She told him, it happened on a certain day that I went to pray and as soon as I knew I had you on my mind. The Spirit of the Lord took hold of me and prayed through me in an unknown tongue. A vision came before me in which I saw you laid out helpless and I cried out in the unknown tongue. I kept praying in the Spirit until I saw you rise up and go out of that room. She had kept a note of the time, and when he turned to his diary, he found it was exactly the time when he was raised up off his deathbed. There are great possibilities as we yield to the Spirit and speak to God in quiet hours, in private rooms. God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that everything about us can be changed with the dynamic of heaven. So, back to Moses. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and God, with a terrific east wind all night long, made the sea go back. He made the sea dry ground and the sea waters split. The Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters a wall to the right and a wall to the left. The Egyptians came after them in full pursuit, every horse and chariot and driver of Pharaoh racing into the middle of the sea. It was now the morning watch, which means very, very early in the morning. God looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud on the Egyptian army and threw them into a panic. He clogged the wheels of their chariots and they were stuck in the mud. The Egyptians screamed, run, God is fighting on their side against Egypt. God said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea and the waters will come back over the Egyptians over their chariots and over their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And as the day broke and the Egyptians were running, the sea turned, returned to its place as before, and the waters returned, drowning the chariots and riders of the Pharaoh's army that had chased after Israel. None of them survived. And Israel looked at the Egyptian dead, washed up on the shore of the sea, and realised the tremendous power that God had brought against the Egyptians. The people were in reverent awe before God and trusted in God and his servant Moses. Well, now they're free, really free. Where to now? God had said there was a place he had for them to go. The pillar of cloud was still there leading the way. They continued following into the wilderness, to the mountain, where God gave Moses the law and the instructions for building the tabernacle. When Moses finished the work of building the tabernacle, the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud lifted, the people would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud didn't lift, they remained where they were. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. So after they built the tabernacle and the pillar of cloud and fire hovered over the tabernacle except when it was moving, showing the way, then it went ahead of them. They had... The presence of God among them. And it wasn't the personal, individual presence that we have now under the new covenant. It was just the presence of God there, in the middle of their camp. 1 Corinthians 6:19 says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Wow. I don't understand how it can live in millions of Christians all around the world all at the same time. But the word says that He is in you and me and all of them as well. A temple is a sacred place, a place of worship, a place to give glory to the God that it was built to honour. All different temples all built to honour different gods in those pictures. But you're a temple. Does my life give glory to God, to the God that I was created to honour? Jesus told his disciples in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Now here Jesus is talking to the disciples before his death and resurrection and the day of Pentecost. So at that point, the Holy Spirit was with them. But after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was in them. He said, oh, he lives with you and will be in you. When the Holy Spirit was poured out at that prayer meeting, he came to live in Jesus' followers in a new way. Under the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit came on certain people in a way that gave power and a special blessing. The heroes of the Old Testament, Moses, Elijah, Samuel, and David, and even Samson, who messed up quite a lot. Uh, They weren't perfect, but God put his Holy Spirit on them and equipped them and used them to lead his people. Now we have the amazing privilege of Holy Spirit living in each of us. The Israelites followed that cloud for 40 years and I guess they kind of got used to it, just used to it being there. They began to take God's presence among them for granted. Is that something that we do? The presence of God in the cloud didn't stop them from grumbling and complaining as Alicia shared with us. (laughs) And they did that pretty often. We get to read in uh, Exodus and, and numbers all the complaints that they had. And maybe we can identify. It <laughs> doesn't stop us from grumbling and complaining sometimes, either having Holy Spirit with us. Holy Spirit's a person who has feelings, not just a nebulous presence or power. The Bible tells us that he rejoices, that he grieves, that he's sad. Do we grieve him? Ephesians 4 says, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Do we ignore the Holy Spirit? 1 Thessalonians says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. How do we do this? Perhaps the previous verses give us a clue. It says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. And I know there's other ways that we can stifle the Holy Spirit as well but it's uh, by ignoring him, by just ignoring that little voice that prompts us. I know that when I spend time with the Holy Spirit I'm refreshed, invigorated, encouraged. He's so amazing. And it changes me. Not necessarily dramatically, but just bit by bit. The word Jesus used describing the Holy Spirit was comforter. It also means advocate. Someone who advocates for us before the, the, uh, the accuser encourager, counsellor. Romans 5 says the Holy Spirit fills our hearts with his love. And that's something I'll keep on asking him to do. Another role of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin. John 16 says when he comes he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgement. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father. Judgment will come because the rule of this world has already been judged. So it's Holy Spirit's role to convict people of their need of salvation. So when we share the gospel, we can only share. only Holy Spirit can touch their hearts and open their eyes to the truth. He also is the one who speaks to us when we need correction. Do we have soft hearts to listen to Holy Spirit when he convicts us? I'm trying to become more sensitive to the little things that break my closeness to Holy Spirit and to be willing to listen. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That power involves a new boldness, power to witness, power to heal Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit came on him at his baptism, we read about that and in Acts Peter preaching says, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and with power Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And I tend to think okay, yeah, that was Jesus. But he's also anointed us with the Holy Spirit and with power. And we can go around doing good and healing those who are oppressed by the devil. For God is with us. Evangelical preacher Chuck Swindoll, by the time he says, by the time I graduated from seminary, I had many convictions and few questions, especially regarding the Holy Spirit. But during a lifetime of ministry that has taken me around the United States and to many countries abroad, I have found that the work of the Holy Spirit continually keeps me off balance. And I'm not alone in that. Those in church leadership seem afraid the Spirit is going to do something we can't explain. I've found that disturbs many folks, but I'll admit it energises me. I've come to realise that there are dimensions of the Spirit's ministry I've never tapped and places in this study about which I know very little. I'm on a strong learning curve I've witnessed a dynamic power in His presence that I long to know more of firsthand. I now have questions and a strong interest in many of the things of the Spirit I once felt were settled. To say it plainly, I'm hungry for more of Him. I long to know God more deeply and more intimately. Well, I'm with Chuck. I want more of the Holy Spirit's work in me. I'm hungry for more. And the word says that if we hunger and thirst, we will be filled. When we seek, we will find. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to hunger after you. Help us to have soft hearts to listen when you speak and to be willing to yield to your lady. Amen. Amen.